Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking, and welcome to the Co-Pilot Conversation, a Jet Fuel Podcast joint. I am Joe Rivera, and along with me as always is Matt Solard, a.k.a. King Sliz. Sliz, say hello, my friend. Hey, man. Excited to, to get a bonus topic in today. I, I think we got an awesome guest, a, a guy I uh, go to on Twitter in the post game after every single game to to make sure I'm not going insane, <laughs> make sure I'm, I'm my, what I'm seeing is grounded in, in some sort of reality and I'm not getting caught up in the extremes one way or the other. No one wants to be gaslit. And and like Sliz mentioned, this is the inaugural episode of the Co-Pilot Conversation, a feature that we hope to be doing throughout the regular season and maybe the postseason. And we are thrilled to have on one of the Jets Beat's very finest, the co-founder of Jets X Factor, Robbie Sabo. Robbie, thanks for joining us, my friend. Really appreciate having you on. Anytime, fellas and Sliz. So you're saying I'm not insane? I, <laughs> I calm you down? Yeah, it, it's, it, it probably feels like maybe you're on an island and maybe you're the insane one sometimes. Oh, like, I was, was going to say, my, my plan is working perfectly. Awesome. <laughs> so so let's let's start off with some, uh, some general overview uh, hanger questions here, Robbie. So... Obviously, the Jets are off to a four and two start. Maybe a little bit better than some people thought. Maybe it's about in line of what people thought. But what are your thoughts on the the season so far, and and what the Jets have been putting out on the field? I think Joe Douglas's plan, although frustrating, was correct. It was patient. It was the only way to attack what he was facing. I mean, let's be honest. They drafted poorly. They operated as a franchise just awfully for over a decade. When you track the roots of this history, Mangini and Mikey T really built the last great roster this franchise had. Rex Ryan coached it well, but once Mike, once uh, Mikey T left, you know Rex Idzik, the personnel just went to hell, and McCagnan tried a shortcut. Uh, Bowles, it, it just never worked. So Joe Douglas knew what he was facing. He demanded a six-year deal. And he said, enough of this nonsense. We're going to do it the right way. I know fans are going to hate it. They're going to hate hearing the culture stuff. They're going to hate hearing the process. They just want to see results. I'll even say things publicly that I don't believe, such as Robbie Anderson. I regret not signing him. I mean, <laughs> no way in his heart. There's no way in his heart he regrets not signing him. But it, he, he knows how to handle. He, he knows how to play his hands. He knows how to handle everything. You know, if you were to, if you were to be adamant, to the press that in that instance, he would have looked irrational based on what was happening. Uh, you know, early last year, people had Darnold as the next Hall of Fame quarterback and the Panthers as the next Super Bowl champ. But, <laughs> he, but he knows what he's doing. And the process was put in place. And one good draft in this league could change everything. They've right. had two now, and they're not ravaged by injuries. That's the other thing. This injury prevention program they put in, people are overlooking this. Uh, so the injuries fooled a lot of people last year, I think. They weren't nearly as good as this year, obviously, but I think they would have had a lot more wins without the injuries. This year, they're staying relatively healthy. You know, Sands the tackle and Zach Wilson for a few weeks. So, you know, they're legit. The, the process is finally resulting in actual football results. So, so Robbie, I have, a, I have a question for you because this is obviously something that Jets fans, Jets Discord, everywhere debate a lot is that you mentioned the drafts and they've had, if, if we're going by two really good drafts in a row, but that 2020 draft, man, is looking a little suspect. And Sliz and I have had this conversation a lot that maybe some of it was Adam Gase. Some of it is the fact that they couldn't scout because of COVID that year. So where do you kind of fall on that 2020 draft? And is it a Gase thing? Is it a Douglas first draft thing? What are your thoughts on what happened there? I think I think it's a mixture of both. I think it's Gase. I also think it's COVID. You know, think about being a GM and your first NFL draft happening during COVID with mm. all those with the hysteria, with the restrictions. He had what was promising to me, even though at the end of that first season, I was down on Beckton when other people weren't because the availability, you know, he may have missed only a few games, but he came out of so many more. And that was red mm -hmm. Uh, Mims again. I uh, you know they just didn't have many other weapons, so he had, they had to play him that first year. 
I was really down on the draft. But when you look at GMs, they bust more than they hit. Way yeah. more. You know, even great GMs, Ozzie Newsom. And if you take Jug- Douglas's three drafts, he's hit more than he's busted, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's never usually over 50%. So, yeah, I, I think it's a combination. Gase, Douglas's first time around, not being able to properly vet. And Sala is very underrated in terms of personnel. No, he's not the GM. No head coaches in today's NFL aren't GMs typically, but they have a lot to do with the personnel. And Sala, while sometimes his X's and O's aren't there, that's okay. You know, Douglas got the head coach right and the right type of head coach because Sala's a guy you want leading the charge for a young team who thinks communication, relationships are important, and he believes that they would turn it around, you know, with the receipts comment. So you got to have a guy who believes that and knows people and knows players and knows personnel. And I think Salah helps, helped a lot too. Yeah, kind of building off that, right? And and I know you were out at, at camp last year and, and we had you on Jets Discord for an AMA. And, and one of the guys you were really hyping up prior to his injury was Carl Lawson, right? And you talked about mm-hmm. Salah and his pro personnel evals and, and building that culture. And I think over the past couple of weeks, uh, Joe and I have become like intangible squad, like just hyping up intangibles and you're, <laughs> you're kind of seeing it unravel before your eyes where it's like getting guys that love football, getting veterans in the room, whether it's a Carl Lawson, whether it's a Sheldon Rankins, a CJ Uzama, a, a Corey Davis, getting these vets at every level to help mentor and bring along the young guys. Like, how do you, do you see that? I, I assume in the same way and, and a dude like Carl Lawson too, like how much has he made a difference? I, I know you, you were gassing him up. This dude's going to change change the entire defense, and, and then he misses all year, and he comes back, and it's like, man, he's he's getting his juice back, man. Yeah, I, I felt good about the defense last year until Lawson went down, and him and Curry both going down was huge because their entire defense is built around that front four. Now it's a little different now because I think their secondary is tops in the league, arguably the best coverage in the NFL. And I think the secondary is really setting up the pass rush. But the good thing about both those units is they complement one another and they don't need one another, which is fantastic. But Lawson, yeah, he's that type of guy where, you know, talent is great in the NFL, in football, but talent is only a small percentage of the entire equation. The human element is so huge. And Lawson you know, I think it was the first training camp practice this summer. First play of teams, he got off the ball like I can't even like a bat out of hell. He just plowed through McDermott, knocked him on his ass. And that's the type of emotion that you want to see, that human element. And he's got it. AVT's got it in spades. So many of these guys have it and it rubs off in, in such a big way. So to the people who say culture is not real, it's just hogwash it's crazy culture is so much in football you see that's that's another debate i don't want to say debate because i think sliz and i are kind of aligned on this but i'm i'm very much a person where like culture doesn't i feel like culture doesn't change until you start winning games which is why i feel like now that they're winning it's it certainly feels a lot better than if they were losing and being competitive but i i certainly feel like the culture's changed now to your point robbie and and how they got there is I think it's very impressive because last year in the in the draft or 2020, you saw Douglas targeting lots of character guys. Now, it didn't really work out that way. But the first thing that he's been saying, every anytime they make a signing, anytime they make a draft pick is you got to love football. You have to want to love football. And I think that goes a long way. What what are your some, some of your thoughts on that, too? Yeah. When people say character, it, it's not it's not about, hey, is this a good guy? Is this a good human? It's mm-hmm. more so about. Will this guy do whatever it takes to make himself the best at his craft and step on the throat of the opponent? The Tom Brady's of the world, that mentality. And Sauce Gardner has that. AVT has that. You know, a lot of these guys, these studs. And Joe, to your point, yeah, talent is obviously needed. You know, they're not doing this. You know, if the culture is great, they're not doing this without the talent. But still, if you have the talent and you don't have the right attitude, you're not going to get it done either. So, you know, Cleveland week two, think of a world where they don't come back in that game and they're mm-hmm. 0-2 and they lose the game after Salah makes his receipts comments. What happens? Are they 4-2 and two here? Are they 3-3? Three and three? Is everything feeling great? Do they have the belief they can come back in that game after their head coach stuck his neck out for them in terms of laying his cards on the table? 
it, there's so many little things that matter. And, you know, Bill Parcells said you are what your record says you are, but the process matters so much more when you're trying to build something. Once you build it and you have it, the results are what's important. But, you know, for example, if you're evaluating a cornerback, you'd much rather have a cornerback who does all the right things in one-on-one coverage, who gives up a touchdown on a perfectly thrown pass, than a cornerback who does everything wrong, doesn't give a shit, and gets lucky because the quarterback overthrows the ball. You know, one result is good, one result is bad, but you want to take the process, the guy who does everything right. Because that's what's going to lead to sustained success. And they're just nailing it right now. So I, you mentioned Sauce, and I remember your tweets from the preseason, Robbie. And Sliz and I are kind of kind of aligned here where we didn't deny Sauce's talent at all. We thought he was an incredibly talented player coming out. But there were questions of spending a top five draft pick on Sauce when Kayvon Thibodeau was there. And, you know, you could have went past Russia, you know, regardless of, of what that happened, just still a little bit of a question of whether sauce is the guy. We're starting to see that sauce is the guy now. And you mentioned it in preseason, his, his fluidity, his hips, his change in direction, his speed, his recovery speed. It's all there. It's apparent. What are your thoughts on sauce? How, how have you seen him progress through the season so far? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. The first training camp practice where I saw him and I coach defense in high school and I, I played safety back in a, back in the day in a long universe, a long, long time ago when I didn't have, break. <laughs> he just, he's a freak. You shouldn't be that long and tall and be able to move the way he does. I'm usually of the opinion that you want to build your trenches first, you build inside out, but he is the exception to the rule where this is a league where the playmakers matter more with the rules and you got to get that done in a lot of ways. And Sauce is just too good to pass up. I can't believe Houston didn't take him. I can't believe mm-hmm. it. Um, he was locking guys down one-on-one every time. There was still some questions in zone within the, within the entirety of the scheme. We saw communication issues against uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland. Those red zone touchdowns were both on him, in my opinion. But, hey the kid is unbelievable. He should be an all pro corner based on his play so far this year. Uh, they, they really got it right. And besides Joe Douglas, think about his drafts. He went trenches first year. He went trenches second year. And then he opened it up to the outer part of the roster his third year. I think he's done it the the perfect way. It kind of, kind of piggybacking off that, right? We've seen this, the Seattle style cover three and, and you see Tariq Woolen popping off in Seattle right now. Late Hold on. You pick. know what? You know what? Hold on. Before you keep going, this is when the nerds get involved. So I'm just going to go grab, I'm going to grab a water and just, you know, go, go do it. <laughs> you guys, you guys just do your thing. I'll, I'm going to sit back and listen. Go ahead. Sliz. Sorry. Yeah, no, just, just like high level, you know, does this kind of change? I know there's some, I, I definitely had some thoughts in the off season, like, Hey, just keep throwing those darts. We saw us throw in the, 2021 class with with Brandon Eccles and Jason Pinnock the year before with Bryce Hall and it's like man do we even need corners and I guess does this kind of change philosophy I know over over the years and especially in recent years it feels like not that wide receiver ever wasn't valued but it feels like it's become more and more premium and and like the first round of drafts and and I feel like the league's gotten better at evaluating them Do do you see that the same way on corner when you're getting the guys like like Pat Sertain, who we'll see this weekend, a JC Horn type. Obviously, Sauce and Stingley are, are kicking butt this year. Like, yeah. you, and just our scheme specific with cover three. Do you think that's something where it's like, hey, th- this isn't this isn't your old Legion of Boom cover three where you're throwing darts at long length guys and, and just making it work? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing because. You look at the receivers, right? The dominant receivers in today's league, you know, other than Jefferson and Chase, a lot of them are mid to late round, mid, mid round picks. Some of them late, you know, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs. So a lot of people subscribe to the notion that you could get the skill position players later in the draft because the rules, the way they are, so many more guys are productive, right? You, you get so many more yards. You get so many more stats padded on. It doesn't feel that way for corner, though. You know, an elite corner talent in this league is going to get beat. There's no such thing as a shutdown corner and I in this league anymore with the rules. And I still think that's true for Sauce, but I'll tell you what, Sauce is making me think long and hard on that. Um, that's what she said. But, you know, <laughs> I, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think the trenches are getting less valuable as the rules go on and time progresses. But 
they're still the most important factor in my mind. However, I think Douglas, and this is the best point for Jets fans, Douglas understands the game today. He's an offensive lineman. He could have been stubborn and continued with the trenches, but he understood what his roster needed. So to that end, going Sauce, going Garrett Wilson, you know, I think it's a great job going Brees Hall in the early second. Man, he took – people wanted to bury him bury him six feet deep. You know, he doesn't care. He's unapologetic, and he, and he goes with his gut, and he doesn't apologize. Guilt, me, guilty as charged on Brees Hall. Yeah, let me tell you, I'm, I'm a Brees believer, right, Robbie? And, and my guy over here is, is the number one Brees Hall hater in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, to, to be fair, you know, Sliz, is, Sliz has been fair. I don't want to speak for him, but, you know, he had his issues with, with Hall as a prospect coming out. And there was some, there's always the question, Robbie, of, well, is it value, the value pick at the top of the second round? But you saw Robert Sala in his, pre- in his post-game press conference on Sunday. There's no price for home run hitters, right? Like, yeah. you could debate that till the cows come home. But I think you pl- you planted your flag pretty firmly in the Brees Hall was a solid pick camp there. What are your thoughts on Brees so far this year and the pick at large? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, and to be fair, I, I wasn't – I didn't get crazy involved in the – college film this offseason i did a little but i wasn't crazy involved so i wasn't overly hot or cold with any of the picks uh thinking douglas if i had to guess i would have thought he went would have went o-line or edge at the fourth pick surprise he didn't i'm glad he didn't uh but i like the sauce pick i love garrett wilson over london uh Brees, usually i'm in the camp of no need to draft a running back that high but you can't hammer it because this is not a regular situation. They stockpiled picks beyond anyone's imagination. Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams, you know, are the besides Joe Douglas, of course, are the reasons they were in that position to to have a luxury pick like Brees Hall. It, it's about value. He's a first round talent, and to that degree, you know, when the analytics people just criticize it. It, you can't analytics are a great tool but they have to be a secondary tool they have to be worked in conjunction with the football element and, and i think that's where some of the people go wrong it has to be a complementary tool so the football element Brees being a first round talent knowing you need a second stud back gotta have two in today's nfl knowing the o-line would be in good shape you got your quarterback you got your receivers you know i had no problem with it and the kid certainly is a stud Hey, Robbie, so you you had a string of tweets, I think maybe mid-game. I didn't see them till after the game, but it's like mm-hmm. it's all the same stuff I was saying live in the game threads about Mike LaFleur and his play calling and his personnel usage. And I, I just I, I want to like give you the floor here because I agreed with everything you said. I know the past couple weeks people have been real critical of our run first approach. We we've seen a lot. I, I thought this last game against Green Bay. Michael LaFleur was in his bag with yeah. the run play design, his play calls, the the amount of two RB looks that we have and the diversity and how we're deploying those guys has been absolutely phenomenal. I just wanted to kind of give you the floor, let, put it all out there. What are your thoughts on Michael LaFleur so far and, and really this, this last game? Dude, at, at halftime, all right, Jets offense was struggling, no doubt. At halftime, it put out a tweet, you know, that, listen – Jets offense is fine. They're okay. They're running it at a 5.3 yards per clip. They've only had 24 plays to Green Bay's 34. On top of that, Zach Wilson was not playing well. He was late on a lot of passes. He just wasn't feeling his element. He wasn't in his element. He didn't have that pocket presence that he normally does. So it wasn't a great game for him. I thought the floor really did so many things in that first half to not make it a disaster for that offense because it could have been. And I put that tweet out at halftime because man, Jets fans wanted to kill this guy at halftime for that first half uh, performance. But that's just the nature of the beast. Offensive coordinator is always public enemy. Number one. I remember uh, Paul Hackett. Oh my God. Early 2000s Jets teams, man, he got destroyed. Oh yeah. a A lot of times he deserved it for sure. But a lot of times it was because he knew Pennington's limitations with the arm. So it's just the way it is. Like lots of times they deserve it. And the floor, listen, was he perfect in the first half? No way. But a lot of the things he does sets up the second half. For example, 
the pit comeback in the fourth quarter, a lot of RPOs, a lot of three-step play actions where Zach fakes it, stands straight up, and hits someone in the middle of the field. He saved that for the second half in Green Bay, and it paid off to a Corey Davis play, a Conklin play. In that first half, you know, I think he ran that pony package with the two backs and, and Brees on the wing. In the first half, I got to watch the film again. Once, without the pitch, the optional pitch to Garrett Wilson, trying to set it up for that second half play where where Brees had the option, but the safety blitzed off the edge and he had no option to pitch it to Garrett Wilson on the reverse. And he just cut it up with the ridiculous ver- vision and one cut ability. So if you notice in track before, he really saves a lot of ammo. That's why this team does so well in the second half. He, he doesn't, he unloads the bag in the game, but he doesn't do so right away. And the other thing is you've got to play sometimes into the momentum of the game. It was a defensive struggle. Zach wasn't great. So if you're an OC, you can't be running five to seven step drops all the time and, and expect your young quarterback to process the field. You can't have a turnover there. So you want to tighten it up, protect your quarterback, and wait until the perfect time to make your move. And, and that's what he did. You know, Robbie, to Sliz's point and your point too, it's like I, I feel like Zach, his best game back was the Pittsburgh game. He, he leads him to the – finishes 10 of 12, 120 whatever yards. He plays more of a game manager role versus the Dolphins, but he he plays it to, to perfection pretty much. Like they didn't ask him to do much in that game, but he still made the right decisions, the right reads. And then he was a little bit slow to your point. He was a little bit slow on his reads. It just He didn't seem quite right in this last game versus the Packers. But – Overall, from year over year, I'm very encouraged with what I've seen from Zach. What have you seen from Zach so far this season? Yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged too. It, the best positive is that he's cleaned up those short passes where I thought he was great, you know, from the onset, from the outset in Pittsburgh. He looked confident. He looked poised. The only problem is he, he struggled with those short passes where sometimes he gets struck by lightning and his fundamentals break down, and he sees an easy play, and he's like, oh, this is too easy. It's a bunny. I'm going to complete it, no problem. Mm-hmm. But everything down, and it goes haywire. He's cleaned that up over the last two games, but some of the processing and feel stuff has gone away. I'm encouraged. I think he's going to be a, a franchise quarterback in this league. I, I wanted him in here. I wanted Darnold gone. Douglas went that route. Um, it's a very fine line between – what LaFleur and Salah are trying to do between letting the quarterback try to make a play and playing within the momentum of the game because you know how talented your roster is. And that's going to be the battle. That's really going to be the battle each game and especially each first half. And and they really erred on the side of caution against uh, Green Bay in that first half. What's your thoughts on this? Uh, I know there's a lot of folks disappointed in Elijah Moore. Obviously, had the the post game tweets kind of expressing maybe some of that disappointment and his his lack of activity and involvement. Like, I, I, I think it was you that tweeted out just showing how much we're spreading out our targets and like yeah. how how an AI could distribute the 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 balls better across all of our weapons, like. What's your thoughts on all that, Elijah Moore? Do you think we get him involved and scheme some touches? Like, where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, he has 29 targets, right? I think it's 29, and Corey Davis is 33. Garrett Wilson has 40-something, but that's the only guy that's above, you know, the norm. It is pretty spread out in terms of targets. It hasn't resulted in yards or touchdowns, but it will come. The problem is they have a lot of weapons. I mean Mm – Think about Berrios. He has 10 or 11 targets. And Wilson is probably, you can make the argument, he's most comfortable with Berrios. And they're leaving him off the field. You know, every time he goes in there, he finds a hole in the middle of the field somewhere. You know, would he have a catch or two in the last game? At least one, I remember. Um, But, yeah, I think more regrets saying anything. I know Douglas and Salah don't like it. Salah said all the right things publicly. More kind of backtracked. You can't do that. It's going to be in the back of the minds now of everybody. And if you're Elijah Moore, you just made life harder on you and your offense. Because if I'm Denver, that's in the back of my mind. Hey, watch for number eight early. Watch for them to scheme up something early for him to get him involved on some bubbles or anything three-step. So you just don't want to do that. It'll come. 
The problem is Garrett Wilson is great out of the slot in terms of his route running. He really sets a lot of stuff up. In the fourth quarter, Pittsburgh, his route running helped Corey Davis big time, where he he ran right out of linebacker or safety in a, in a really great way. Uh, so he's the number two slot guy behind Garrett Wilson, if we're not counting Berrios. And then you got Corey Davis as the number one sideline vertical threat. So Moore kind of gets lost in the mix a little bit. Yeah, you want to see him get involved a little more, but you know, don't don't say anything. Don't say anything. It'll come in. Right. right. Yeah. I I'm just very much like I, I go be back and forth between being a Jets fan and being, you know, a, a writer, reporter, journalist, whatever word you want to use. And I'm like sitting here like Man, it's a great win, but the the vibes are so good. But and then all of a sudden, Elijah Moore says the stuff after the game. I'm like, come on, man! Like, yeah. you know, be, be be smarter, be smarter. You know, like yeah. it's not a good look for anyone. And it was was it officially zero targets, correct, in the game? Yeah, I know. I know he at least had that one deep shot though, where exactly. he got he got no vertical separation on that deep it, shot. Exactly, there was at least one, but it it didn't go in the books because it was a, a penalty on the play. So, you know. Just don't respond. It'll come. It will come. You're too talented for it not to come. So uh, <clears throat> there's been a lot of discourse over pro football focus grades, Robbie. I don't know if you if you pay too much attention to those, and you know. But uh, Quinnen Williams exited Sunday's game. He or- he originally got a 65 point something grade on Monday morning. On Tuesday morning, it was a 71 point something. And on Wednesday morning, it was an 81 point something. Again, like Sliss said before, I want to give you the floor on pro football focus, PFF grades. How much emphasis should people put on them? Your thoughts on them in general? Jeez, I I wish my science teacher lifted my 60 something (laughs) grade to (laughs) that would have been great for the GPA back in the day. But uh, I don't really. I'm not much of an analytics guy. You know, I, I coach high school. I really like to get out, get on the film. I'll pay attention to it because Nani is all over it with Jet Sex Factor. So I can't help but see it sometimes. I, I don't care. Like, who cares what grade is given out in terms of PFF on social media? Do they have a, a spotlight, so to speak, because of where they are and Collinsworth and all? They sure do. But you know, the more attention you give it, the more they become relevant in my mind. You know, I don't think you should you should ignore it 100 percent, but I really don't care. It's not there's no perfect way to grade a player. And that's right. the, the beauty of the sport, uh, because when you try to explain why Sala and Douglas are doing things right, it's impossible to explain it to a T because there's just that understanding that they know what they're doing and you could see it and you could feel it. Um, so it could never be perfectly explained. Jets fans, don't worry about it. Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of, kind of building off that. Like when you're sitting down doing some film study, are you just watching start to you know front to back? Are you keying in on certain things? Do you look at certain things to guide your film study? Or hey, I didn't real, I didn't notice that in real time. Let me really key in on C.J. Mosley getting lost in coverage and holding Mercedes Lewis, you know, eight <laughs> yards downfield on a third down. Like, how do you, how do you bound your your film review, or do you just kind of go top to bottom? I try to. Uh, this week I've been a little slow, not being able to find the time, but I'll try to from the broadcast or from being at the game. This past week I had to watch the broadcast. Uh, this coming week, I'll be in Denver, for example. But based on the game, I'll have an idea of what, what I want to see first. Like for this Packers game, it will be Wilson's struggles is one. And then number two, uh, the defensive coverage. So I, I kind of focus on those two areas first, and then it'll lead into other things. And then eventually I get around to watching the entire game start to finish. So things pop up, but it, it's a matter of priority, really. Like you never get to everything that you want to get to. Uh, so it's a matter of eliminating things that, you know, you can't get to and then highlighting the stuff that's uh, the most important. Right on. You, you touched on defensive coverage and you, you said you were a defensive coach safety back in the, the glory days. What, the what galaxy you... far, far away. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what have you seen from our scheme? I know it's been criticized a lot, especially all of last year when we're, we we're maybe running with a, a half clip instead of the full clip we expected. It's 
been criticized as vanilla and crit, you know, just, Hey, we run cover three We're traditional cover three teams know what we're going to do so they can exploit it. it. It feels like over the past couple of weeks, we've thrown in some wrinkles. What, what have you seen really on our back end coverage of how are we deploying these guys? Or is it, is it pretty vanilla, but we just have two stud corners that are taking it over. So since the, I was really upset at their game plan, I thought they, got away from who they are as a DNA, a defensive DNA. They saw Burrow, they saw the offensive line and said, listen, let's create pressure. Let's create additional pressure because we can get to this quarterback. And I thought it was the wrong move. Uh, I said it early. You just don't want to do that. You're not a blitzing team, number one. And number two, you don't have that talent. And, and number two, Burrow is great against the blitz. So they did that. They were aggressive. Burrow burnt them. He got out of trouble. And from that point on, I've loved what they've done. They've gotten back to their DNA, which are they vanilla, you know, X's and O's wise? Sure, they are. But they have mixed in so many different uh, run and pass games and, and schemes and run replacement situations up front where you see a lot of slants. You see a lot of uh, crashes with the D end and someone replacing him on the edge. It was one play, the Vinnie Curry play, where he, he got the tackle for loss. He crashed down and Sauce replaced him on the edge. So it was a corner blitz replacing Curry on the edge, and it's working. So there's stuff up front against the run and pass. A lot of stunts is high risk, high reward, but it's just working. They're hitting on all cylinders. So the way I kind of view it is they're creative up front, four-man rush, and they're vanilla on the back end with great coverage. But the key to their defense is situational defense. They're very smart situationally. You know, if it's third and long, they know where to play. Uh, the Michael Carter pick in Pittsburgh, Sauce, knew that he wanted the quarterback pick it to throw it to Firemuth on that play. If he's on, on Firemuth's hip, that play doesn't happen, but it's third and long. So, hey, go ahead and throw it. Or second and long. I forget what. I think it was second and long. But, hey, go ahead and throw it. It's a great situation for us. Throw it there. Throw it short. We'll come up, make the tackle. Leads to a pick. So, they're doing it situationally. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Building on that, I know Quinnen Williams and his – like, he's having an absolute monster season. I, I know his – his usage and, and all the defensive line rotation comments, I think took on a life of their own almost. And and I know your buddy Nania, I feel like on, on snap count watch every single week now, <laughs> but what, what's your thoughts on D line rotation? You know, like Ulbrich's a football guy. He played in the NFL. Clearly it's something that they're intent on doing. And, and frankly, we're having a lot of success doing it too. I know when you got a guy feasting as much as Quinnen does, and you're replacing him with Nathan Shepard, who's a clear, like, should he even be on the roster probably not right but what's your thoughts just on the rotation in general do we know i haven't seen this yet but have the numbers been out in terms of have they rotated more or less since that blow up i think it's been the same quite frankly so um, one of the dudes in the discord small champ and and once we get the dashboard we'll, we'll make sure to to shoot it by you guys too but he has a a tool that has snap counts and personnel on every single snap and, mm -hmm. and at, kind of at, at a high, high level, it looks like essentially Quinnen's two, he, he gets two drives on and one drive off. And then he's more or less getting every single third down and fourth down duty. Right. So if, if they have one of his on drives, if they're, if it's like a 10 play drive, they'll sub him out for a couple, couple snaps on like the sixth, seventh, eighth uh, snap of the drive. But in general, it feels like it's been pretty, pretty stable. And and I think the biggest difference is we've been been getting off the field more and, and make you know making impact plays, getting to the quarterback, mm -hmm. intercepting the ball, all that. Well, I mean, I mean, there you go. It's a perfect example that the rotation really hasn't changed much, and yet here they come, dominating. Uh, Albrook, I think he kind of stepped on himself a bit with that presser. Jets fans wanted to kill him. You know, hang him right there. He wasn't throwing Quinn under the bus. It, it kind of just said that it came out the wrong way. But I, and I kind of made a point, you know, what if, what if, and I don't think he was trying to do this, but what if he was trying to motivate Quinn a little bit? 
you know, Jets fans want to see accountability. And at that stage, you know, there was an accountability question. You know, is this coaching staff too nice? Do they hold these guys accountable? Uh, and as soon as it kind of sounds like he may be or, you know, maybe getting on the guy a little bit, even though he wasn't, Jets fans lose their minds. Hey, since that moment, it's been full speed ahead. If that had anything to do with it or not, Quinnen has taken it and run with it. And just like ABT on the offensive side, he's been an all pro on the defensive side. Yeah. And one thought I've had on the rotation and, and maybe it's something I'm totally making up, but like you mentioned Makai and some of his injuries, like Quinn has been real injured, man, to start his career. He's missed multiple games every single year, played through injuries. I, I think we're seeing it show up in these fourth quarter. You know, we're dominating every fourth quarter. A lot of that, you feel like you, you kind of have to credit the rotation. They're telling they're telling us it keeps the guys fresh throughout the game, and we're seeing it when they're showing up in the fourth quarter. It almost, I, I feel like part of it too is, hey, we need these guys for the full season. We need Quinnen as he as he performed in that Green Bay game. We're going to need him in Week 18 against Miami, potentially playing for a wild card spot too. So yeah. it's a it's a season long game. I, and and I really liked like your Michael Lafleur comments for that same sense where it's like this this dude's setting up plays throughout the whole year. He's setting it up in the first half for the second half. He's building off of tendencies from previous games and then breaking tendencies with with like the CJ Uzama tight end screen to the flat. Like these these guys know what they're doing, man. We're we're not yeah. the Adam Gase coach Jets anymore. No, hey, no, Adam Gase could Adam Gase could scheme up an opening drive though. I'll tell you that. But he, he could, yeah. could, he could, and in a in a wild, crazy way, you know, Jets fans should be on their knees at the church of Adam Gase right now because if you think about it, Adam <laughs> Gase coming in here and blowing up Mike McCagnan's career and looking at him and saying, "Uh, uh-uh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing." Maybe without Adam Gase, Joe Douglas never comes here. Hey, yep. Yeah. In the wake of this latest uh, Matt Rule firing, I would say. At- Adam Gase was the best hire we could have made that cycle. He got in, he blew it up, and he got out fast. Matt Rule <laughs> dragged it out. He sold off future years, and the Panthers are in a they're in a, a terrible spot. And they, it's I a, mean, not, not the money matters, but not the money matters for billionaires. But they also paid him sixty three million dollars. It's like, yeah, oof, oof. Yeah, he's rich. He's rich, bitch. That's it. All right, that's all the questions I had. So I think we can move on to our next segment here, Robbie and, and Sliz. And it's Golden or Wooden, which is buy or sell. Golden, you buy the statement we're about to make. Wooden, you sell the statement we're about to make. So I'll start it off here. I think this one is, I, I think this might be a Golden. But Robbie, I'm curious your thoughts. Golden or Wooden, Sauce Gardner will win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, it's gold. It's ultra Golden. Yeah, ultra golden. He, he before the season started, we did a JetX awards type thing, and I had AVT the all pros. I had AVT and Sauce, and for defense all pro, player, all, pro. Oh, man. all pro, and uh, and for defense player of the year, I had Sauce. So I got to stick with that now. Man, dude, all right, man. I, I can't it. argue that. I can't I'm, not, argue I'm that. not going to argue that. I don't want to argue that. Now, so. I might be wrong on Quinnen, though. I might have missed out on that vote, but we'll see. Go ahead, Sliz. I know you had a few more here. What on that or on Golden? No, on the gold, the Golden or Wooden, because I don't want to. I don't want to ruin this fantasy that uh, Sauce is going to win All Pro in his rookie year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so next one. Um, and, and these next two are both forward looking, but so Carl Lawson is, is doing enough to cement his roster spot next year, despite how deep our edge position is golden or wooden. That's interesting. Do we refresh me on the cap on the cap numbers? Yeah. So he, he's, he's due for, I think it's 14 million next year, pretty Mm -hmm. much all non-guaranteed all base salary. So we can, we can cut them scot-free. All right. Would we save much if we cut him? Yeah, fourteen million. Oh, we would save all that. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go golden right now, but it's very, very close. It's very, very close considering the depth, considering his age, and he's not an old man by any means. You know, coming from a guy with gray hair, but he's just—it's very close. But I'll go golden. I think. Right I think. I think Lawson's been pretty good this year, Robbie. Coming off an Achilles injury, I mean, he had the monster game last week. Uh, the Packers game, he didn't show up as well. Going up against a tough assignment back to Yari, too, even though he was 
uh, rotate in and out. But what do you, what are your thoughts on on Lawson so far this year? Yeah, no, I, I loved him. I've loved him. He's been great. Uh, forget the production with him. Forget the numbers. His relentless motor is really getting it done. It's infectious. And in terms of his roster spot next year, it, unfortunately, it's just the way of the world, the way of the NFL. It has very little to do with him and more to do about the hard cap and the way this roster is constructed. So, you know, I don't think they could have asked more from Lawson right now. CJ Mosley will be on the Jets 2023 roster, Robbie. Is that golden or wooden? That is wooden in an antique store from the 1950s. <laughs> I so, hope so, man. I yeah, hope I think so. we all hope so. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of rough. It's, it's, he, he's, been good. he's been good, but the cat, the numbers just don't work. Uh, he would have to take a significant pay cut to, to return. And you could see a world where it happens. But on this contract, it definitely wouldn't. Yeah, I think that I think the restructuring helps his case a little bit. But I, I and and I thought his Packers, the, the game that he had against the Packers was actually a pretty good game. Um, I thought he was solid. Like that was his first like solid to good game that he's had this season. But I tell Sliz all the time on the podcast on the main podcast, I'm like, dude, this dude's always chasing in coverage, always chasing coverage. He's always chasing run plays, and I understand that linebackers in 2022 NFL you're going you're getting pulled in five different directions at snap because you have so many different responsibilities especially in the Salah scheme in the Salah and Ulbricht scheme but he's just like he took the weight off and he's got no more thump and he took the weight off and he's still not fast like it didn't do anything for his speed at all so yeah, he's uh he's got a great mind like that's been his best attribute his mind but right. when you're at his age you take one year off it's hard to return in, right. in football. Taking two years off is really difficult. So considering the circumstances, I think he's doing a hell of a job. But yeah, you could see him draft. You could see the Jets drafting a legit linebacker next year. Right. I hope so, man. I hope so. All right. All right. Hmm. Last one we got for you. Golden or wooden. AVT will move back to right guard ASAP. Uh, it's golden if Fant is healthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. If no Fant, he'll stay at right tackle. I mean, they love Max Mitchell, but there's no reason to shake it up for Mitchell because uh, Herbig is playing great. But if Fant returns, I see Fant getting reinserted and then ABT going back to right guard. Uh, I think that's a, a positive and it's a great world where you could have ABT, a right guard, have that highest ceiling possible, and then have him as a right tackle if – Fan ever goes out and have Herbic. So, you know, they're suddenly when Fan comes back or even Mitchell too, they're suddenly very deep along the offensive line. And the, uh, the other wild card here is Mike Remmers, who was just, yeah. just activated the act. So, and signed the one year deal. So he'll, he'll be on the active roster through the end of the year. And that kind of has me questioning if they want to move AVT back to right guard because you see it in some run plays. You see it in the run game, especially where. Like I'm not I'm not anti Herbig, but the mobility and Sliss pointed this out plenty. The mobility just isn't there from Herbig as it would be with an AVT, and I think you see that a little bit. I'm I'm curious to see what Remmers would bring if he if he starts there. And to be honest, I'm curious to see what Fant's going to be at right tackle because the last time he played the extended time at right tackle, he didn't look great. Uh, he looked much better at left tackle. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, Fant, there's still some questions surrounding Fant, uh, but the good thing is they have a lot of pieces. You know, the the offensive line, big, heavy general manager, certainly knows what he's doing along that offensive line. They killed him for Ryan Khalil, but remember, he just got the job. Mm-hmm. There was no negative in signing Ryan Khalil. It was a swing for the fences, you know, low risk, high reward situation. So anyone hammering him for Khalil, it just – you're not factoring in the situation. Yeah, right. he knew they needed upgrades. McCagnan left him in a terrible spot, and he and he went for the only thing he could. Um, now yeah. they're they're set. Are, are we allowed to use context? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that, that sounds like too much context for me, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twitter, no. They hear that's the rules. Twitter, no. Facebook, hell no. Reddit, <laughs> Reddit. Ah, most days, no. Uh, here. Yeah, let's do it sometimes. We'll do it here. Yeah. We love we love context. We're we big love fans context. of context. We baby. love context. I love context. 
So uh, on the Jets Discord, people usually repeat phrases, many, very many phrases that nobody of value understands. But there's one thing that people need to know about this Jets team, Robbie. And you know, what's what do you think is one thing that people need to know about this New York Jets team in 2022? They are smart. They're talented, but they're very, very smart. You know, I still have questions about game planning, strategy, X's and O's. But when I say smart, I mean situationally, like football, uh, coverage, knowing the sticks, playing certain leverages, offensively, uh, the right routes, precise routes, setting up each other, playing as a team, complementing one another with all three units. They're very smart, and I think that flies under the radar sometimes. Yeah, I think you definitely see it now, especially after those first couple of weeks. And it was like – it wasn't like this team was – un. I mean, they were undisciplined. Like the, the personal fouls were bad the first couple of weeks yeah. of the season, but the one they had like one killer breakdown every game the first three or four weeks of the season, and you haven't seen those when they no. while they've been winning. No, and last year, remember how many dead ball fouls there were, the penalties, mm-hmm. the mismanaging of the sideline. It, the mismanaging of the sideline wasn't as bad as a as we've seen in the past with other coaches, even in Salah's first year. But they it was there, and they still had to feel it out. This year, those dead ball fouls, those dead ball penalties, false starts, offset, they're not there as much. Like they, they're they're eroding away. They're going away. So they're getting really smart. And you know, the culture and just their their intelligence, their football IQ just keeps trending upward. All right. Sliz, Robbie, let's bring this thing in for a landing. This is the landing strip. Obviously, we do this on our made podcast, comes out every Wednesday where Sliz and I just riff about whatever's on our mind. We did that already, Robbie. So, Robbie, what's what's on your mind? Anything on your mind at all you want to get? I know Sliz was going on about uh, apple picking yesterday and and fall being here. And and I love tequila. So there's that. So, Robbie, what's what's on your mind? Anything at all? Uh, Russell, is Russell Wilson going to I want to hear from you guys. Is Russell Wilson going to play this weekend? Number one. And number two, being the diehard Jets fans you are, are you expecting the other shoe to drop? All right. So I'll answer that first, the, the Russell Wilson question first. I, w- I want to preface it by saying this injury is very weird. It's like super weird to me because the way that Ian Rappaport put that tweet out, it was like Russell Wilson has a very real, very painful injury, which makes it seem not very real and not very painful. But there's something about Wilson's personality that he wants people to know that it's real and painful, you know, like, and he always knows the cameras are on him. So uh, I don't know. I think, I think he will because this like sets up for like him as a sympathetic figure, almost like, Oh man, he's playing through injury. Look at him go. So uh, I think he's going to play this weekend to answer your second question, Robbie. I, it's not that I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop because I I'm starting to turn into the camp of, okay, this is legit. Like, this is for real. This is not Todd Bowles 2015. This is not Adam Gase on the and Sam Darnold on the hot streak to end 2020. This is this is legit. So, or 2019, this is legit. So, um, yeah, I'm not there. I think I think the demons are kind of like just kind of eroding right now. I'm not seeing them. I'm not seeing them as much. Sliz, I don't know how you how you're feeling about that, but I'm I'm feeling optimistic. I'm feeling optimistic Jets fan right now. Yeah, I I think Russ plays. I I, I think he plays. I don't, I don't I don't think there's enough there where he won't. And and honestly, I don't know that it's a bad thing that he plays either. He has not been playing well. That offense yep. looks disjointed, yep. and players are clearly frustrated. So him continuing to do what he's been doing is, is probably isn't a bad thing for us. Um, wait waiting for the other shoe to drop, man. Like I don't I I don't think it's gonna happen. Like clearly. I, I fully expect and, and acknowledge there's a real, real chance that we get totally just destroyed by Bill Belichick and then the Bills going into the bye. But I also don't really know that that matters, right? Like, if we if we take care of business this weekend and we get to five wins, even if we get absolutely demolished in those two games and go in the bye at five and four, we're still set up well on the back half, man. Like, I, 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 think, I think we're... We're we're above the the low water mark. I think we're all right. I'm I'm optimistic too, man. And and certainly if the other shoe drops, it'd be like a, a really disappointing loss to to Bears or, or maybe like a Lions team that that looks like they they just don't know how to win. Um, but the one yeah, thing I'm, I'm not stressing the the one thing that's flying under the radar that 
um, th- this weekend is huge in my mind because they thumped their last two opponents, right? And they were great strategically, game plan-wise, X's and O's. But notice the coaching staffs they faced. They faced guys they knew in Matt LaFleur and the Miami head coach from San Fran. So they knew both of these opposing coaching staffs very well, Robert Sala and Michael Floor, you know, coached with them in the past. This Denver coaching staff is, is sort of different. So, I, you know, they got a good day. I, I want to see how they come out in terms of game plan, in terms of X's and O's against the coaching staff they don't know very well. And that's one of the things. These last two weeks, they know those other coaching staffs very well. Hey, yeah. Hey, build, building off that, how good, though, does it feel to have those coaching matchups and to be the dominant side of those coaching matchups, hmm. right? Or yeah. it feels yeah. like in the past when we had familiar matchups, that's when we get exposed and torn apart, right? It's like, man, we we did, we took care of business the past two weeks. Yeah, and took care of a, a, a team at Lambeau where they win 15 straight games in the regular season there. Yeah, and, and hadn't lost back-to-back under Matt LaFleur either until with, this game. With a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, that's no small feat. Yeah. Things are looking up, boys. Things are looking up. Things are looking up. But for now, time is looking out. So that'll do it for this episode of the Copilot Conversation. Uh, you know, if you, you guys can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts for the official Jet Fuel Podcast releases every Wednesday. If you don't mind, please leave us a five-star review. It would greatly be greatly, greatly appreciated. You can find us on Twitter at Jet Fuel Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Sliz, where can the people find you? Yep, find me at Sliz underscore NYJ. And Robbie, uh, where do, where can the people find you and all of the great stuff that Jets X Factor has to offer? Um, just go to JetsXFactor.com. You'll find it all there. Jet X Mobile on uh, the App Store and Google Play. We always have great stuff. Uh, Wayne Corbett's podcast, Nania with the analytics, those damn analytics. And then Blue <laughs> It reviewing film. Um, so check it out. Dude, blue blue it is too good at reviewing film man i need i need some bite size i need some bite size material I, I click on one of those and it's like oh that's 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 too much film for me to consume in one sitting <laughs> yeah, man. but it's good stuff though it is real yeah. good stuff i joke around that that he's he, he he's ready to unleash a, a vault category like where he breaks down browning nagels 1992 <laughs> he better not get to that point or you know something something's gonna have to change i'll tell you that Every time I click on one of those YouTube videos, I'm like, this is like two hours long, man. Like, yeah. What are we doing? Like, yeah. this, geez. I mean, good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, get you could send us an email at jetfueldiscordpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you guys can join the Discord. Sliz, how can the people join the Discord? Hey, hit us up. Discord.gg slash NYJets. Talking Jets 24-7. All, oh. all the hottest of takes and, and some very lukewarm ones, too. Oh, lots of lukewarm takes and lots of the same discussions over and over again. If we do the running back discussion again, I'm leaving. It's over. I'm done. So, uh, but for this episode of the co-pilot conversation, a jet fuel podcast joint for Matt Solard and Robbie Sabo, I am Joe Rivera reminding you, you can't take flight without jet fuel. <laughs>